0: You, the eerie music that slowly comes in the hot desert wind with somewhat of a Mexican Calexico type intro, the story of the sun leading on a community that has existed as a resort and now has receded and then is slowly revitalizing from the ashes of what once was.
1: Hello there, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. It's your pal, Andrew, coming to you from Larkspur, California. I'm here with Tiffany and our little dog, Pele. And we're going to be in Larkspur for at least another several weeks uh, as Tiffany finishes up her work contract. And then we are getting back on the road. Do you remember we used to be on this road trip and we were going uh, from California to Alaska? down to Argentina. Well, we've not forgotten about it either. We're going to do that thing uh, real soon. But in the meantime, we're trying to make a little bit of dough um, and we're still trying to do fun stuff. Tiffany's been taking her coworkers hiking uh, as much as possible and I've been working on a project down in the Salton Sea uh, called the Bombay Beach Biennale. I'm back from that now and helping a friend here in Larkspur. But while I was down in... Bombay Beach. I met some really cool characters. Didn't have a whole lot of time uh, for about five weeks to interview very many people. But uh, on my last day at Bombay Beach, I interviewed three individuals. One of them was the guest last week. Uh, One of them is the guest next week. And one of them is the guest you're about to hear right now. His name is Sean Guerrero. Sean is an incredible dude, he's an artist. A uh, very talented sculptor, uh, filmmaker, storyteller, and just an all around cool guy. Um, and it's interesting. We, when he and I met, it was the night that he got to, or the day that he got to, um, uh, to Bombay beach to do this big installation at the, uh, Bombay beach arts and community center or culture center. Anyhow, it's this really cool thing called be back. I don't actually know what be back stands for. It's pretty sad, but anyhow, uh, he did this sculpture called the Da Vinci Fish, which he's going to tell you about. It's super, super cool. Uh, so I met Sean uh, at this community dinner. We're chatting, and uh, I figured out that he was from a town that Tiffany and I spent some time in in uh, on our journey earlier this summer. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, Paonia, Colorado. That's a great place. My friend Charis has a house there. And uh, we kind of got to talking about that, and he's like, oh, yeah, my buddy Gordon works for Charis, who, um, Tiffany and I spent like several days hanging out with Gordon. Oh, that's really cool. You know, Gordon. It's like, yeah, Gordon will be here in just a few days. And sure enough, Gordon came, got to spend a little bit of time with him and just, uh, relishing in the serendipity and weirdness of being in the right place at the right time. And even a guy that, um, we just barely met and only spent a little bit of time with was like this familiar face down there for me. So it was really lovely to to hang out with Gordon. But Sean, man, Sean is, uh, I don't know what to say. I think you'll, you'll get a good sense. That was him in the beginning (laughs) of the podcast, uh, leading us in. Yeah. He's just, uh, he's a character. He's a very, very cool character that I hope to get to know better, uh, someday down the road. And I hope you get to know him a little bit better through this podcast. I want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. You're very patient people and you're very dedicated. Or maybe you've just forgotten that you clicked that one day and you don't ever think about the money that comes out of your account. In any case, we're thankful for it. If you'd like to be one of those people who forgets about money that they give to people, feel free to go over to patreon.com forward slash monkeytoothpodcast and let us know how you feel about what it is that we are doing. All right. We love you so much. We're so grateful for you, and I really hope you enjoy this podcast with Sean Guerrero, also known as Chrome ChromeSean, com. Okay, until next time, bye-bye. Well, thank you, Sean, man. I know you have been... Uh... You've been busy building, you've been busy fixing, you've been busy creating, and then today, when it should all be over, you've been busy recounting all the building and fixing and creating. So I'm gonna try to spare you some of that, because I get a sense that you're, uh, well, I know for a fact you're a storyteller. Yes. Uh, and, And I've found it real fucking hard to talk about art on a podcast. I'm not an artist. Like my dad would say, well, I can draw flies. Mm-hmm. I got that down. But I, I'm not an artist, but I can appreciate the art. And, and we can talk about art for sure. But I'm going to have a hard time describing what it is that you've built out here. Maybe you can do a better job of that.
0: Um, yeah, I'm kind of having a. I think the initial rush of knowing what we built is finally subsiding, but we didn't. When I say we, I mean specifically uh, two other guys involved. My friend uh, John Murphy out of Crested Butte, Colorado, and then Royce Carlson out of Prescott, Arizona, and then I, um, and just coming up with this concept in the form of a fish, uh, kind of in a deteriorated state, but also has some elegance to it. Thus, you know, kind of the Italian Renaissance design, and we. Decided that if maybe you might have seen one of da Vinci's drawings in his workbook that you haven't seen or wasn't discovered. He had sketched this out. And then the uh, other dimension was we wanted to reflect an aspect of what's going on out here in this area with the uh, dynamics of the dwindling, evaporating body of water. Um, So... Originally, the we came up with a fuse I, I found a fuselage through some other aviation people available. I proposed it to Royce if he would join in on me on his end uh, to collaborate to build the wings and the tail, and then my other friend John Murphy to uh, build the structure itself that the fuselage rests on, and we built them all in three separate locations me being in Paonia, Colorado, John being in Crested Butte, Colorado, and Royce being in Prescott, Arizona. So once the flow started going and we got committed to the project, um, we basically had some sketch-ups that Royce did for our design. And we just thought a lot of the elements of where you have the dying fish out here that support the bird life They need that to sustain them to go on their flyways from the south uh, up to the north and nesting and uh, breeding. And so then that element kind of applied to, uh, through the uh, fuselage, the aviation that goes back to the birds and their biology and skeletal structure of which da Vinci noted. And at one point in time tried to create a flying machine called Le Machine volant. So... The, um, those dynamics worked in pretty good and the other one being that a lot of the cosmetics on the sides of the fuselage are all, uh, most of it's found objects or repurposed objects. The uh, number 10 tin lids from the uh, cans were saved from some schools uh, in the cafeteria in Bluff, Utah and also Hemet, California. The mosaics that are on there are all from broken pieces of um, pottery and glass and a couple other elements that Royce's wife, uh, Juanita, put on there. That added to an, another Italian uh, kind of uh, thumbs up to the uh, Italian artist, Gaudi. So then you have the Italian influence once again, sort of the same time period. Um So, then when we got it out here, uh, we got the structure built, then we lifted up the plane with a a boom truck, or a boom lift, and I got in there and we bolted the plates, which contain a hub that sits basically on an old logging truck axle. It's very heavy duty. And then we placed the wings, on, actually we put the tail on there and we saw it in the wind and it started articulating. So that was kind of cool. And then we waited for, uh, to, to put the wings on it, which are of the element and design that da Vinci had in some of the drawings you'll see. And when it was spinning around finally and we, it, we were kind of mesmerized, it became alive, but that was just our feeling. Then once we started seeing the public, react to it. And when you stand underneath it and it's spinning around and you're looking up and you see this sea of blue and sometimes the sky, uh, the different climatic uh, changes with the light during dusk and dawn, the cloud patterns, whether they're a lot of these uh, contrails or the regular high altitude cirrus clouds, it's, it's kind of magical. Um, so, our original intention was to place it out by the pier there and just let it sit so that you could frame it with a camera. And it would, when you saw it coming in above the berm, if you're coming in the main road here to Bombay Beach, you'd see this mystical type fish uh, structure or a sculpture. And, but the reality is, when we got here, we still would have needed to rent a boom truck buy the concrete spend a few days just welding up the support and the rigging and the uh, outriggers for the main base and dave day here the uh, proprietor of bbac community center and rebel who operates man approved for heavy equipment operating at uh, Black Rock City when they have Burning Man, he's done a lot of large, large large-scale projects. The 747 bar, um, I mean, massive installs. And they kind of brought us down to reality of what's going on out here. You can't just take something like this and place it there, even if it's private property. Because you have a responsibility for when you're gone. And out here, there's people who just scrap things they will strip it out they will climb on it they will slip they will cut themselves to the point of where they're almost um, disemboweling themselves yeah because there's a lot of sharp objects on there so we had to uh dave and rebel made a proposal to us at be back here that if we put it here as the community arts center in bombay beach it would have security cameras You'd have a security fence. Somebody's always here, like Rick, who's here when no one else is. Um, and we needed that because we we realized, like, well, look, we just can't walk away and just one day get a email from some law firm saying that an accident happened with this individual who is... The owner of the property and who's responsible for the structure. And mm-hmm. it, we find that it's not, uh, it, it wasn't approved to code or built up to these engineered drawings to take these high winds or stress. And we collectively said, let's place it here. This makes the most obvious sense to do. And also, our intention was when we built it, not just from a wow factor of, oh, you can make this artwork. We wanted. I've been coming out here for so long, I wanted to like let some of the locals know. You, you know, some of the kids, the older persons, you know, there's a lot of aviators out here with American Legion who went through the wars are still, some of them are still alive that recognized aviation so that association with what we built would spark some kind of uh, a a feeling of nostalgia. And so we wanted to give them hope and put on the map for them that this cool piece is here in this town and people are going to remember just a passers-by traveling through that just drive through and then all of a sudden, wham, it's there. Like, whoa, we didn't expect that. And then they, these persons go back and tell their friends and it becomes this thing. Uh, and it, it's basically a nice little landmark through art it's a landmark and it reminds me in a way of a totem yeah it could be totemic it's I, I agree. totemic
1: because it's mm-hmm. got this um all those elements like when you look at a totem say like in uh you know british columbia yeah there's you know there's a stylized bear on one particular point and it works up to a raven at the top and all the little figures in the middle have significance to it a, mm-hmm. a band or a tribe and you just described to me all the elements of a totem like a mm-hmm. modern totem pulling at the aviators pulling at the canned lids from the schools and all these different things that ties together to totemic elements that you left at a community center which is precisely what you would do in a, a native tribe yeah you know it's at a particular point so like as much as this town needed more art mm-hmm. you know to have it here in the yeah. town's very art and culture center and the, the community center where they cook the meals and there's a cafe and this budding sense of community it, it's got old roots to me like I, I just see kind of an older thing happening more than just like hey we're gonna make this wow factor piece of art that's right. weird and we can all do it like you assembled the best craftsman that you could get your hands on mm-hmm. and came down here um, and built this modern totem that is articulated and weird and magical mm-hmm. and Hopefully archival. It's kind
0: of hard to to place what it is, really, when you see it. We didn't expect that. But my other, uh, uh, for me personally, um, you know, when someone goes into a a gallery, a synthesized gallery that's very uh, antiseptic in the interior, Mm -hmm. and it feels, you go in there and you kind of, the common person feels like, this is not mine. Yeah, and I'm not part of this, and I can't speak this art speak that the the critics use or the um, the gallerists can speak about. Um, this is something that you just look at it and get out of it what it is, and you don't have to go into those environments. You don't have to feel intimidated by this space, and that's why I've always liked the desert, the desert is, for me, an open... Gallery where you find the objects, you get solace, um, you have um, it feeds your creative energy and builds inside of you. And then you can grab pieces of where people leave their dreams and detritus, slowly rusting in the sand and the dirt and the wind and the rain. Um, But then at the same time, you can. Take that and regenerate it into something that becomes a life form through an uh, inanimate object itself. Yeah. That's a very hard thing to do. I've only had a couple sculptures in my lifetime do that. And when when you see the reaction in other people through all age groups, if they're young children all the way up to elderly people in their nineties, yeah. um, you've done something pretty powerful. Yeah, it's a it's a subconscious entity that evolves and you don't know that yet it can't be a forced thing and we were working collectively yeah as other artists you know usually other artists get egos and well that's not what I want no your dream isn't my dream and um, so then the piece just becomes static.
1: fact that you guys did it all collectively and apart, you know, in three exactly. locations and somehow found the exact center mm-hmm. where you could bolt in the hub and make it roll like that. It's <laughs> yeah, just like, that was
0: amazing. Like that what, was, yeah, the, I can't. the, the, the uh, balance of it at, to the center of gravity. Yeah. And we put a little bit more balance ballast. In the front nose, but uh, right. ironically, we needed some weight, and once again, the desert provides. Yeah. We just went out to the pier and found these chunks of broken concrete that had yeah. come from the pier, and we put it into the plane, and it worked. It, we just, just right. found that perfect balance yeah. point. The first time I
1: heard of um, a collaboration like that, that really kind of blew my mind, and I, I imagine people maybe had done this sooner, but Ray Davies from the Kinks. Made, well,
0: one of my favorite lyricists of all time.
1: He made a record of of his old hits, but with like modern, uh, well, whatever, modern artists mm-hmm. uh, that were just sort of. He was singing with them, and but like he and Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. did. Um, uh, uh, Better things they did that tune better things together, and they and never said, I
0: hope one day you'll find better things, yeah yeah, yeah they
1: that was yeah nice. yeah great they great uh, they did that they were never in the same room oh, they weren't no, they kept on sending shit back to one another, and that was the what? sort of the case in a lot of this stuff they were just sending files mm-hmm. and they sang this like kind of vainglorious rock and anthemish type of thing, you know? yeah and uh. I just thought that was the coolest thing that you could do. That you know that like we had the bandwidth literally mm-hmm. to to send files of incredible you know rock icons back and, and forth and, and not
0: and be in the same uh, location physical
1: space and come up with something that's that cool and that mm-hmm. balanced and that, you know so like you did that literal thing with <laughs> with yeah. an actual physical structure. You and your buddies you know yeah. just collaborated via email or via however you did it and uh,
0: and made it made a thing. It's. Um what I can now understand when an artist or a writer or a musician says, you know, the song just started out as this. Right. And then it got to here. And then once it got released and went out into the uh, spectrum, it became this bit bigger thing. It took on a life of its own. I know what they're talking about. Because yeah. you got to be, you have to experience that to know. Yeah. And then when you meet someone like that i I have occasionally and you can say hey that one thing you did i totally get where you're coming from because i had it happen to me but most people won't know that and that's where the um the confusion comes in uh and through that you have to live this existence of getting down in the dirt letting your blood drip into the dirt breaking your legs, burning your hands, mm-hmm. falling off a plane that's turned into a fish. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's that's the payment you have to
1: give. <laughs> and, but to even have the privilege of busting your ass in that way, you mm-hmm. have to drop your ego first. Yeah, yeah. And, you and have
0: to drop your ego.
1: That yeah. that to me is the hippest thing that you took three artists who are all, I mean, accomplished in their own rights, doing their own thing mm-hmm. that would be fine to make a great sculpture. Or do some cool piece anywhere. Mm-hmm. The fact that three of you came together yeah. and agreed and brought in your own teams, like you yeah. all kind of had your own guys together, to yeah, help. to
0: get the other parts done. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's a lot of ego being set to the side. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's it's tough because sometimes you can feel it rising, but the way we kind of handled it, <laughs> it's funny because I was born in Long Island, New York. My uh, one of my friends who helped build was from Brooklyn. Um, my other friend uh he's he was kind of from back east our other friend's from Virginia, but we all started doing these brooklynite type one liners you know <laughs> that that new yorkers do and yeah. so we were that was um keeping us up mm-hmm. cracking ourselves up yeah and, and continuing to work then the funniest ironic thing <laughs> why we were doing this was this uh this couple of New Yorkers, an elderly, not too old, but they came over. There was three of them, two men and a woman, and they were mesmerized by this. This was kind of our first like public reaction from people who we thought were just passing through. They were hardcore New Yorkers. And so they heard us speaking, right? <laughs> and they thought we were all New Yorkers, so yeah. they felt, hey, we're in kindred spirits here. Yeah. So I asked them, I said, where are you guys doing here? And they said, we're buying a lot. We're going to buy a lot here and we're going to put a trailer up. And I said, you are? You're from New York? Do you Have you lived here? Do you know this? Yeah. This is what you want to do? And they said, yeah, that's what we want to do. And I said, oh, that's cool. But I would suggest you live here for a while <laughs> yeah, first you before you buy a lot. <laughs> you see how small the scorpions uh, can get here? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but we all laughed about it, Uh, just the fact that, you know, we were, even the Brooklyn energy kind of brought them, (laughs) yeah. (laughs)
1: It's, well, so I want to kind of go back a little bit, because, you know, making fishes in the desert spin around in the wind is not the only thing you do. I mean, you... Correct. I was, in a tangential way, aware of you before... I met you. I yeah. saw your, your work in Paonia. Mm-hmm. And when I, I saw the fish arrive here the day it got here mm-hmm. and then talked to you about what you do, mm-hmm. I immediately recognized, oh, hey, have you done anything in Paonia? And, of course, that's your shop. And Yeah, uh, yeah. So tell me about what you make and and, and how you got started doing that.
0: Um, well, I think my, my fascination, because, you know, I, I grew up in the 60s. I was a 60s, early 70s. Bad teenager, teenager kind of kid with all the cheesy television shows and you know that sentimentality at that time. But in the '60s, um, for a brief point in time, my dad was kind of a jack of all trades and always trying to make a buck to provide for his family. He had uh, two boys and one daughter. So there was one point in time where he decided that he wanted to recover wrecked aircraft. And any of the avionics, possibly the engine might be good. Landing gear, parts of the fuselage, cables, whatever. So he formed a little company uh, called Al's Aircraft Recovery and Salvage. I still have his card. Mm. And I would—I was around 13 to 15, I think. And when the they would go out, and you know, the uh, civil air patrol would would retrieve the people if they were in there the salvage comes up and you have a plane that might be stuck in a really tall pine tree or you know, on a scree field up in the mountains. Um, it could be anywhere. And so he, through his crude form of uh, technology of that time, got a van set up so you could sleep in, got this uh, flatbed trailer, got a couple snowmobiles so you could go up in late spring and you'd have to climb up these trees and disassemble the wings and um, the wheels take off the bent prop and so he was squeamish he wouldn't do that and his partner ironically was this uh, colored man named Dave and Dave wouldn't climb the tree because he had he was missing his right arm uh, you know up to his elbow but he had this aluminum appendage on there to grab things and he used to smoke these big fat cigar stogies so I remember uh, uh, all the time I would have to ca- climb up there and disassemble all that and hand Shit. it hand it down on a come along and some chains, and he used to just sit there and laugh, smoking that stogie. You know, he'd have to put the stogie in there and just sit there, and then my dad would uh, put them on the uh, the trailer a lot of times. And so he started collecting a lot of these aircraft, and eventually he didn't. He couldn't pay his rent, and the owner of the property took all of that, and I felt really bad for my dad. But um, I've always been around objects of that, and I liked science fiction. Some, uh, throughout up to about you know 17 or 18, I was making models and building spaceships out of junk. And when the van craze hit in the um, early 70s, I picked up airbrushing. So you'd see those murals and the mm-hmm. the cool... You'd have the really cheesoid ones where they were uh, stencils painted with a spray can. Yeah. And then you'd have the cool ones where they were super detailed out and done with an airbrush. Yeah,
1: like feathered.
0: And yeah, feathered things. and yeah. all just ether real. And you yeah. didn't have these digital print shops oh. or Photoshop. You, you had to knew what know what you were doing. So I got into that for a while. Oh. And... I was, I was getting pretty good, and at one point in time, this man, I got a call from this man, and he was this manager for the world's Bronco uh, Buster riding, uh, this world champion. His name was Larry Mahan, and they wanted me to paint this Western scene on their airplane, their executive airplane, and I turned it down because I didn't think I was good enough. But what I did realize was, hey man, I might have a possibility to become an artist. So my grandmother wanted me to become a classical trumpeteer. Really? My grandfather was with, on my mother's side, was with the Philadelphia Philharmonic with Eugene Ormandy. Wow. So they would always tell me, no, we want you to do this. This is what you should be doing. This is a respectable thing. And you'll never make it as an artist. So, um, as it, as I got into my early twenties, I, um, I was doing odd jobs, but I started learning techniques of welding. I went to welding school for two years and then I was going to become a commercial underwater welder, which is highly dangerous. Very. So after I graduated from this, uh, welding school, I went out to Oceaneering International in Ocean, uh, Long Beach, California. And my cousin had just graduated. He was about three years younger than me. So, you got to go through all this bariatric, and uh, you, you have to do these testings where you aren't claustrophobic in small spaces. So, he graduated about six months prior to, and then I was going to go through the course. So, you can make a lot of money, but you got to be a young guy mm-hmm. and you got to be careful of what you're doing. And five months before I was going to go out there, uh, he died at 250 feet off the Sea of Jakarta. His, uh, that, the commercial dive helmet filled up with water and he drowned to death in a dark sea. And he was doing underwater non destructive testing of the legs, the welds on the uh, platform. So I said, No way, yeah. um, that's just too dangerous. I continued to weld, but I also still had that artistic thing. Mm-hmm. And I was collecting scraps of metal and finding objects and starting to build things part-time when I wasn't doing my commercials, steel welding or building these uh, commercial uh, commercial buildings. And I started uh, selling a couple, you know, 1000 bucks, 1500 bucks, 2500 bucks. In the 70s, that was kind of a lot of money. So one day, a guy brought over some car bumpers, old ones. I cut them up with a torch. I made something kind of semi-cool. Someone bought it, and they just kept. So I started working in the medium of cut car bumpers. This is around early 80s. And I had a piece on a building in Denver that everyone saw. And the owners of the building were Broncos fans. So I made him this horse. And it was crude as hell, man. When I looked at it after a while, at first it was like you know your kid brings you a drawing from kindergarten. They, your mom puts it on the refrigerator door. Look like, what junior made, isn't it great? But after a while, she leaves it there too long. And you're saying, hey mom, could you take that take down now? Oh, like hey, we're doing an interview. A... Um. Well, okay.
1: you're you're running the place now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And you got a you got a, a general manager here. Yeah.
0: So what happened was um, this lady saw that horse on the building, and she called me when I was living in a retrofitted cabin with my sister just outside of Denver on ten acres up in the foothills. She so she asked me she came up she wanted to meet me she was visiting her daughter going to see see you in Boulder, and it turned out she was an actress for this television show called St. Elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Her name was France Nguyen and in the fifties and sixties, she was kind of like the Asian interests to leading men, such as William Holden for a while. She was Marlon Brando's girlfriend. And Mm -hmm. so she says, Sean, if you can build a couple of these up as a a group of uh, sculpture objects, I think I can get you into this art show out in Beverly Hills. I didn't have confidence in myself to do it, but I did. I, I had some large pieces. I built a knight and a dragon and you know, a rearing horse. These were all out of chrome, cut chrome wow. uh, bumpers. So we went out there the next year, me and my family, a couple friends, unloaded them in this park in Beverly Hills. And I was just blown away the first three days, which would have been Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But I didn't sell anything. So as much as I was accepted then, it's still like, okay, well, we got bills to pay and nothing's happened. And that Sunday night of that show, that first show, it just went crazy. I met so many people from, you know, all points and in between and was invited to dinners and I started getting commissions. It just... It just started snowballing, and mm-hmm. I signed a deal with this agent. <laughs> Wrong thing to do when you've had a few beers mm-hmm. on a napkin, <laughs> right? Oh, shit. At this grandiose thing a couple months later, this uh, some Hollywood gig that, where these old cowboys would get together, and it was a benefit for the ones that don't have any money in, uh, up in Calabasas. I think it's called the Golden Boot Awards. So here I was, mesmerized burned out, um, overwhelmed. And that. so this went on for like 15 to 20 years. And it was to the point where I'm telling people like Kirk Douglas's son, the only way you're going to get your piece in there is with a helicopter. And they don't like that. They are the ones that, hey, this is how it's going to be done. You're just Joe Blow from Colorado guy. But um, this pilot that I met, he is a pretty interesting guy. He had this pink helicopter. It was a heavy lift in Vietnam era. And it was in a TV series called Riptide. So I kind of got to know him. And you just can't have a helicopter come in and pick something up. You have to go through these, uh, you know, some uh, permit processes through three different governmental entities. And what I learned was to get paid on one of these deals, um, to get the rest of my money, the piece had to be in the yard of this person. And then I get a New York to- or a LA Times article sent to me. And, you know, Kirk Douglas's son decides to use Pink Helicopter to install big chrome sculpture in the backyard. Then I started knowing how the Hollywood system works. Right. And I just got tired of it. I just got tired of it. Yeah. And that's when I was living uh, in Crested Butte. Colorado. I lived there from '91 to 2001, and half of that, I, at 40, I decided to buy a little farmhouse at the time in in the wine region of France, and that was a great experience. But I started exiting the whole Hollywood thing. Is it just? It, it's just not me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was good while it lasted, sure for sure. Exciting and yeah. But and after everyone... a while, you just kind of see a facade and. Um so if we can transport now to where we are right here during this interview, it's um, I'm, I, I kind of see that. Mm. A little of that happen Yeah, that spice, again, but we're just outside LA, so it's expected. Right. But this has happened in Taos, right. in Santa Fe. in Joshua Tree, mm-hmm. the artists are exiting. Right. And Joshua Tree is a big haven for artists, it always has been. Yeah. Um, so this place, Bombay Beach, is a very interesting microcosm of a dynamic within humans as they interact with each other. Yeah.
1: Feel seem to me like uh, we just met, but you seem pretty comfortable in your skin. You feel seems like you're in your element,
0: doing yeah. This. Yeah, I feel mm-hmm. I feel pretty good, you know. I'm um, but you have to have a certain confidence within yourself with some of these other I'm not speaking about this space in this area exactly, but I, I make some hucksters that promise you the world I can sure. do this and that, but I've learned a lot from that, yeah, and uh my overall essence is as I get older I just want to leave a legacy and I want a few I hope that I can make a few more pieces that still have a soul and a life to them mm-hmm. where they end up I don't know but what I do like about be, be Back Here is that this piece is in the public Yeah. and there's no walls yeah. and anyone can see it Um, and we didn't make anything you know I didn't profit none of the guys did we yeah. lost money but the value beyond that that I don't know about that's going to come is a whole different thing. And I had that experience happen to me uh, when I did a piece for a guy in uh, Georgia. I, I, I did a big Pegasus piece. but. A year prior to that, um, the History Channel contacted me, and they said they were shooting an episode on the history of Chrome, and I said, does it pay? And they said, well, no, but you'll get some attention. Boy, have I heard that before. But I just thought about it, and I said, well, why not? So they shot the episode, and uh, lo and behold, about um, a year later, a fellow on an airplane was watching that, that episode and got a hold of me and says, hey, I saw you on the History Channel. And I got this project. I want to see if you can do it. So (laughs) it was free advertising for me. So it kind of worked out in the long run. I just didn't know what was going to happen. I'm just throwing caution to the wind, you might say. (laughs) And so that's what I'm, you know, I'm kind of seeing what's happening with this piece here. If something happens beyond that, that's fine. But where it is and what our intentions were is just for uh, the benefit of um, art speaking, the peace speaking for itself and giving some dignity to the persons out here, Yeah. knowing that s- some people respect you guys living out here in this heat and intense environment, and and how I have so much respect for people that live here all year. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's this a is, really really tough thing, and just to survive.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean I've been complaining about. The Bombay lung. I got this bad cough when yeah. I first got here. Same I got, duo, yeah, you know, yeah I got the same I got thing. Sick. I got brutalized, you know, and I'm thinking, man, there are people here. It's like an old woman that lives next door who just like you know, she's
0: mm-hmm. fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm complaining about a five week stay and she's like, you know, a year long relative or a uh, resident. Yeah. just you know, it's no big deal. It's and, kind of incredible to me.
0: And the uh the results from if this thing dries up which they can't let happen they have to have some type of layer upon the toxicity the nitrates the phosphates that have all filtered down from Mm -hmm. the vineyards and the palm the palm plantations Mm -hmm. the uh, vegetable plantations if that Rises into the air with the heat and the winds that's going to go right up into Palm Springs and then right into the L.A. Basin. And anyone with any type of uh, pulmonary uh, debilitations is going to really feel it. Really feel it. I can only imagine. I mean, yeah.
1: Well, there's... I mean, the the fact that you've brought a little attention just to the community itself. Mm -hmm. Just a little, hey, we care. Yeah. I've been... Um, working with Tao down the street here mm-hmm. in Bombay. And uh, we've had artists come from Hong Kong. Yeah. We've had artists come from Miami. We've had uh, people show up from all over the world just to come here mm-hmm. and produce at their own expense. Yeah. Their own effort, their own, I mean, just everything, investment. Mm-hmm. I've felt so honored to have the ability to work with these people and yeah to like yeah i just to too. to build a platform whatever i can do mm-hmm. however i can be useful to you that's uh it's been really beautiful to me just mm-hmm. to sort of honor that gift that they've brought here and it's um it's it's interesting to see the crowd that will show up and think oh man why are they doing this in a, an abandoned town mm-hmm. which it is most definitely not an abandoned town yeah you know it's a troubled town mm-hmm. but uh what ain't man, yeah, yeah. What town isn't you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just this one is a little bit further down the trail, mm-hmm. but we're all heading towards that, yeah, that same yeah. end if we're not careful, you know. So it, it's yeah, it's cool to see that, uh, in this renaissance, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to fit onto your piece of, of this town, that there are, are people who are willing to invest that sort of effort and that just the, the money and the, the material and the
0: willpower and the brain power. Yeah, it's, um, I, um, I was over there at the ski-in, and I uh, there was a couple in there, uh, a young guy and a young girl, you know, probably in their mid-20s. And uh, one of the girls was really trying to get deep and saying, well, you know, some of this is an art, and I want my art to be not what I see here. But what, so whatever she's saying, though, is it, it sparked an event. In dialogue between her and this guy that she's talking to, so it brings you back to anyone can say what is art because art is just yeah. so speculative. But when you were mentioning with Tao and what he's got going on here, when I saw the woman, the French woman, <clears throat> I met her here the uh, two nights before they got in. Um, when I saw her sing, and it was a perfect evening mm. under that full moon sky, yeah. and she sang that opera and you're in this place you're just going wow and so then you realize that that moment here and as a collective um, it's this thing it's like this there's this people here and who have experienced this and they go back to wherever they come from wherever in the world but it gets in you and you just do it because it's it's soulful. Yeah, soulful is a good way to put it. And I think that's why the people are here. That's why I'm really thankful for what Tao is trying to do mm-hmm. with his uh, his influence in whatever way he can. And uh, you know, and I'm trying to do that in my way. Yeah. We all have our own ways to add to this.
1: You know, I've talked to a <clears throat> few people here, um, talked to Uva about this, uh, and a few others about how this place kind of gathers not uh, homeless is the wrong way to put it but people that don't feel like they have a particular home yeah they they find it okay to be here mm-hmm. you know it's welcoming here there is a sense of community here that's very alive mm-hmm. very real even if your neighbor's crazy mm-hmm. you know their name yeah you know what they're up to they know what you're up to they can hear you at night you know yeah there's there's something else happening here that's um triggers this old thing in us sort of like those totems yeah that, that like oh man we are we do have this need for community and mm-hmm. you know, we're here in this pretty fucked up atmosphere that's potentially hazardous to your health right you know uh but but they're here and they mm-hmm. come from places maybe they you know it's the farthest end of the spectrum is maybe slab city where they're like right sex offenders who have nowhere else to go so mm-hmm. they just alight there But there are people here who just man they don't fit in in a normal suburban setting yeah they can't afford a a real big city and but here it's cheap enough you know no one messes with you Mm -hmm. uh you can kind of get away with a lot yeah you know and um uh put it in another way it's like you know how what sort of arrogance do you have to have as an architect in rome you know under the weight of all this creativity that's gone on eons before you Mm -hmm. whereas out here it's a blank canvas. Exactly. Most of the things that have been made are, are falling apart. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and you can take that beautiful patina and work it into something else. Yeah, and, which is one thing I really appreciate about your work because chrome, mm-hmm. you know, is very. Uh, it's evocative of the new, and the space agey, and like the mm-hmm. nearly indestructible. And you couple it with these things with this aged patina, beat up sort of. Yeah, mixing
0: thing. the glory with the glen yeah. uh, the um, the deconstruction with the glitter yeah um, and another interesting thing about the elements of chrome that I've noticed just from some of the sculptures that I built is it might the sculpture might represent something but then you find yourself staring at yourself when you're looking at that reflective <laughs> surface yeah. it's looking back at you you're looking back at yourself yeah. through all these facets um, you know, according to how the pieces are welded at different angles and the plane uh, has those mirrors on there. Mm-hmm. And when it spins in the light on the right uh, moment of the day, it sparkles these little shining spots of light when it's spinning, which is maybe we as artists of what we're doing here over um, in this town. We are those little um, fragmented mirrors spinning little uh Elements of light, yeah. and occasionally some of these people can feel that light on them. Yeah. Um, you know, the, for a metaphor, I'm just kind of getting into that. But uh, yeah, I it's an int- You know, when you have uh, media organizations like the New York Times, Le Figaro, and all that, and they come out here, mm-hmm. um, bonafide sol- solid media. It's there's something yeah there's a reason why they're here and they're totally. trying to put their thumb on it and it's a good this is a good social experiment for how people live and um the tribes all gather and everyone in the tribe has their own specific task at hand that they're good at yeah whether you're the uh basket weaver or you're the fisher hunter gatherer of food or you're the chief elder and you're telling the young bucks hey calm down You know, we don't need to fight amongst ourselves or we gotta go up to the Blackfeet and make peace with them because uh, we don't, they're hostile but we're more peaceful. Mm -hmm. We all gotta exist as an overall tribe. And through art, who would have thought that this town would start seeing some rise in notice to the the tasks and the, um, the dynamics that are, going on out here environmentally yeah and my i'm hoping ultimately i would like to see like some heavy ceos or the powers that be just come through here or hear about this place and feel it and say how can we help without telling these people this is how you should live yeah that's Uh, what happens Yeah, the,
1: the 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 knight in shining armor shows up and says, oh, I'm here to fix your problems. I know how you should live. Yeah. And it fucks up the the character or soul of a place and becomes like, you know, whatever, name the place that used to be soulful and is now full of people that probably look like me with beards and (laughs)
0: drinking Starbucks and shit, (laughs) you know. uh, Yeah, but we all in our own way are trying to embed our our little piece of what we can I remember the rapper the original rapper Gil Scott Heron uh, said in one of his rhymes uh, everyone can't do everything but everybody can do something
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, it's a good mantra to try and espouse on at some particular points in time when we think that we're better than someone else and our ego arises right Uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll do with that what you can, you know. But I, I will say,
1: you know, this there's like kind of a bad rap for just like a party scene happening here. You know, people are like oh, it's just a big party. It's just your playground. But, and I'll
0: be all honest. I've kind of seen that part of it. Yeah. But I hopefully I think that things will work out. Um, and, and, and look, man, I moved
1: here. Oh, I moved to California from New Orleans, mm-hmm. where there is a month long party that everybody is involved in. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things, it's a part of a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't drink anymore, but I get it. Mm-hmm. I get why you need to celebrate. Sometimes you got to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah. You know, you have to. A friend of mine just died in New Orleans.
0: He was I'm 57 sorry to years old.
1: 57 years old,
0: man. That's a hard thing to go through.
1: He was a beautiful man. Beautiful mm-hmm. man. His parents are still living. Like, you know, there's a lot of sadness around it. Mm-hmm. And they had a second line for that guy where they partied in the streets and celebrated his life. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a lot of shit here to be sad about. Yeah, the death of a whole ecosystem, the death of an economic system, the death of a way of life. You know, yeah. people here die because of these very problems we're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's the ten, ten people died last year yeah. in a town of two hundred. That's statistically fairly significant. Mm-hmm. But you celebrate, you celebrate because you're still here, and you get the opportunity to remember that. You know, mm-hmm. and I think your big crazy flying fish thing <laughs> is about as celebratory a thing. As you can get that touches on that 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 death you know that 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 rotting missing thing you know i i I applaud
0: the celebration i think anybody's really giving people a
1: hard time about partying just Mm -hmm. take a take a break
0: i can expand on what you're talking about with an instance that occurred while we were doing this Uh, one of the locals here last year when i was doing the death boat out -hmm. there I needed to prop up the mast, and I needed somebody to help me. And so this man came down, and he only had one lung, so he couldn't breathe very well. Just that fact alone. But he was willing to help me hold it up, and then I put some ballast around the bottom, and then I could secure it. And I thanked him, but he says, man, I, you know, I can barely even breathe holding this thing for five minutes. And But he is a nice guy to just come down and help me as a local, because he liked the boat. Yeah. So I run into him again while we're building this, and the rest of the crew doesn't know who this guy is, but he comes up to me and says, hey, I've got these bronze baby shoes that I found out at the dump. And when I was out there, I don't know whose they are. I just found them, and I just thought it was really sad that someone would throw these bronze baby shoes away into a trash dump. So I want to give this, whoever had these shoes at one point in time, we don't know what their life was, whether they're male or female, but um, if I bring them, will you put them on the airplane? And I said, sure, man. So we were working for a week, and every day, like three times a day, he just kept driving by to see if they were there, see if they were there. And finally, after we were all finished and we finally got to the point of the inside of the plane, I took those bronze baby shoes and I wired them together and I hung them, and you can see them. So when you look up above where the windshield is, there they are hanging. So it kind of give who gave whoever this person was some sort of uh, dignity of now becoming part of a yeah. uh, interesting sculpture, and a, he was really happy for that. What a sweet gesture! Yeah, yeah, I, I really uh, it meant something to me, you know. Yeah. And he could participate in it, and so whoever this person is they don't bronze baby shoes anymore but whoever that person was if they came and went um, a little bit of their dignity is restored unknowingly that's what I try to do now as a person with my the art that I uh, my artwork that I'm doing for a soulful thing yeah Um, and when you that's the other part too you know that your peace has soul when people start bringing you things almost like a shrine so then you can feel this power like wow we created it Um, look what people are doing they're bringing this so something is going on yeah because we're connecting on i've had some academics that have loved this from a couple of the uh, colleges out in los angeles and then you have some people that are just simply trying to exist to have um, brought the wampum, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> to this thing. Yeah. You know, the the fish, I, I don't know, uh, it's beyond the da Vinci fish, but sure. it's it's this elating feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably when I come back here next year, it might not even seem like we've made it. There, I've found with some of my good pieces they're like children you let them go away and then you see them a couple years later and they've grown or aged or um so yeah well they're aging well thank
1: goodness to the magic of chrome yeah there's a sweet alchemy that makes things shiny and bubbly and bizarre and lovely but they also uh i don't know man like there's a before we ever met, or I knew anything of you, mm-hmm. my wife took a picture of me and my dog sitting on one of your benches. Oh yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and B, yeah. yeah, and
1: uh, you know, I love that shot. I hate being in pictures, man. Mm-hmm. I Fuck, I hate <laughs> it. I, I try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, but I like that shot. You know, and it's I'm mostly glad. because of the thing that I'm sitting on. You know, uh, I got my little pal with me. Oh, uh, that's sitting cool. Sitting on the uh, bench. You know, it's. Uh, so you're you know when you talk about leaving a legacy or mm-hmm. or. or adding a measure of dignity to something Mm. um, those are worthy worthy causes man
0: yeah thanks Andrew that's that's nice of you to say
1: Well, man thank you because I know you're about sick tired and nervous of talking uh, into microphones and being (laughs) interviewed man so I'm gonna let you get back to to relaxing and uh just doing what you do but I, I really appreciate all of it man
0: yeah I really appreciate talking to you and allowing me to kind of just put my voice out there into the digital realm and Maybe someone will hear this podcast as the music comes on and the wind blows and we hear some audio off of some military aviation radio and there's a beam of light out there that's reflecting off of a mirror spinning around at a desert location and the pilot zooms in with his infrared telescopic camera and it becomes a plane but then he gets closer and the plane becomes a fish. Thank you. You're welcome, Andrew.
2: Sure don't be too heavy Here, saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An About tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a Van Build tab detailing how we did our van conversion. A Journal tab, and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a Contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all.